0: Hey there, folks. Thanks for checking out this special presentation of the debut episode of Two Mikes Two Furious, our uh, Transformers animated watch-along and discussion podcast hosted by Michael Andrews and myself. And I'm uh, I- I'm noticing that it's taking longer for the new feed to flow through to Apple Podcasts. Uh, my apologies. It's uh, it- It's been a while since I've launched a brand new podcast. And It's been a while and I know that's where the majority of the audience listens to the show, so I thought I would share the new show here with you on the MSRP feed so you don't have to wait. But with that, I would like to let you know that you will also be able to listen to Two Mics, Too Furious right here on the Mike Seibert Radio feed going forward, even after the new show is available on Apple and everywhere else. However... Since we're trying to build a new audience there, new episodes will be released here one week later. The idea being, I would like for you to subscribe to Two Mikes Too Furious wherever you get your podcasts and then you can use this feed, the MSRP feed, as a backup. Um, It's been really fun doing a whole new project from the ground up, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy making it. So with that, for now, please enjoy Two Mikes, Two Furious Animated Transformers Episode 1, Transform and Roll Call. All right, well, in that case, let's
1: let's just... um... I'm so nervous all of a sudden. I know, I know sorry.
0: <laughs> I don't know why
1: This is part of the fun. I and my microphone just fell off. Oh, no. So, oh. <laughs> it's a sign. Call the whole thing off. I, I was I, I was about to do the thing, too. <laughs> no, think about it. Think about your intro a little bit. I'll get yeah, yeah. this back up and got to give it the Jack Black. <laughs> Come on, you freaking piece of shit. Oh, my God. Oh, yep, it's the lug nut topical oh yeah (laughs) that's right (laughs) (laughs) quiet on the set so dumb i'm so nervous all
0: right let's go in three two one autobots transform and roll out Welcome, folks, and welcome to this brand-new Transformers podcast, Two Mics, Two Furious. My name is Mike Seibert, and I am joined by also a Mike. Uh, uh, Why why don't you go ahead and
1: introduce yourself? The the other titular Mike, if you will. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm the other Mike, Michael Andrews, uh, spelled a little bit different than our Mike. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be getting into this, getting into something I really love, which is uh, Transformers Animated.
0: Yeah, so we we are two mics two furious animated transformers I guess and <laughs> uh, and and so th- this is a podcast where we are going to discuss Transformers Animated uh starting with the Pilot Transform and Roll Out exclamation point um and I'm sure you've heard a million episode recaps, uh, a bunch of Transformers recap shows, um, some of which we're fans of as well, and we'll we'll shout out during the the show here. Like we're super super homies with uh, Autopod Decepticast, as, as well as some others. In fact, th- this this show is kind of in a Joni loves Chachi kind of way. It's almost kind of like a spinoff of APDC, even though none of those folks have anything to do with this uh, this project. But we'll we'll kind of of unpack some of that in due course but the the gimmick with this particular Transformers animated recap discussion show is is that even though I am a lifelong Transformers fan, I, I call myself a, a Ben G1 from day one, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, September of 1984. I've, I've, I've been there uh, the entire time. Uh, Transformers, the movie is not just my favorite Transformers thing, but it is also my favorite movie, just like, you know, of. Of the movies so that's That's kind of my entree Into Transformers fandom But for as much Transformers content as I have Consumed and celebrated Transformers animated is a Huge blind spot for me I passed on it when It first came around and As it got further and Further away I Never really took the opportunity To get into It but over the last three, four years, as I've gotten more involved with the larger Transformers fandom, the one thing I have been told more than anything is you haven't seen TFA, gasp. <laughs> Gasps in Spanish. And I uh um and I've been told by many people I trust, many people I've I've gotten to know in this fandom. It's like you need to go check it out there is plenty there that you specifically meaning me uh Mike Seibert, that that you will love so um absolutely I, agree with that yeah and for that i i could have just sat down and watched it right you know it's like you know it's it's available on Tubi TV it's you know the uh, uh DVDs aren't um impossible to get um but tougher to get, uh, from from what I understand. But anyway, I I could have sat down and just watched it, but I thought, what's the fun in that? Um, being a podcaster, I I host uh, my own show, uh, Mike Seibert Radio, the Mike Seibert Radio podcast. And when you do a podcast, you get into the this mentality that everything is content. So it's like if I if I buy toys, well that that gives me content to unbox and show off on the internet. It's just, it's just a weird thing about how a a podcaster's mentality works. Everything is content. Um, But with that mentality, I thought it would be better to, you know, do it as a podcast. And that's, um, some of part of a truncated version of the story of how I got uh, uh, connected with uh, Michael Andrews and how we're doing this this show here for you now. But um, enough from me. I, I've I've talked for several several minutes, and and you'll see patterns like this. You're, you're as as you go through the show, you're <laughs> like this. Mike Cybert guy talks a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts where you know there, there's like two hosts and you can't tell them apart. I promise you, you will be able to tell us apart because I am the one that cannot shut up. Hundred, hundred hundred, percent. So that being said, so that's just like a little bit of, uh, of kind of how we got here now, but, uh, Michael Anders, take, take the floor and maybe talk about your, uh, um, side of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, I think one thing that's great, just getting back to you being the talker, um, yeah you are excellent at that and as a person that has to work on that myself and being a little more outspoken i need you're my rock man you just you talk forever talk however you want um but for me transformers animated uh i just love it it's it was such a bright spot when it came back around i was i'm i don't know if you've listened to any other transformers podcasts i've been on you know how much i love the movies the live action movies so for me this was sort of tying into that but but giving like a cartoon version. Like they took so much lore from the live action films and like, you know, digested it and made a cartoon out of it. So that's why I really love it. Um, and I was kind of surprised Mike, that you hadn't seen it because of all the like transformers content out there. This is most, uh, I'd say this has the most Easter eggs and most borrows the original material of the original series and not just the original series, but the movie you so love the 84 movie or excuse me, the 86 movie. Um, I think you you'll find so many things in this that are, they're directly gleaned from that film uh, to, to love. So I'm really excited to see it kind of through your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: and, and and that that is kind of the response i get from folks it's like really you you haven't watched it <laughs> for for those reasons that that you're just saying and even in my and my brief viewing cuz like so far all all i've watched for uh this podcast is is the pilot transform and roll out and even then there's already stuff there it's like oh yeah i now i understand what what people were telling me but um i i do want to talk about a little bit about why I decided to pass on it because I think both at the time and maybe even now retroactively TFA is a little polarizing in that like it's, I, I would, I would say that in current times, it's been kind of reclaimed and and that's part of what this project is. Um, not necessarily a reclamation project, but kind of like, a. Blowing the dust off of it and saying like, "Oh, th- this 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 series is worth your attention," and and we're going to kind of explain to you why and and reinvigorate this uh this this uh um uh affection for the show. But I passed on it based entirely on the design aesthetic. It it yeah. came it came at a time and I was at an age where. That looked like it was something that was just in capital letters, not for me. Because you know, one what, what of the things that, that we're going to discuss is you know th- this is a bit of a historical document, and and it and it fits in in kind of a a interesting transitional point for Transformers media. Like th- this is kind of coming on the heels of the movie, so so you have the 2007 movie, which. Reinvigorates the franchise in a big bad way And then in a weird way This is kind of the follow-up And that's I I think that might go down in history as an odd choice I think something more like Transformers Prime Is probably more of a uh, Spiritual successor to the the live-action movies At least aesthetically So I, I had, you know, uh, transformers fandom reinvigorated for me. And then, then I, I see the previews and I, I see, uh, one, the cartoonishly exaggerated stylized designs. That was a little too much for me. I, I like stylized animation, you know, I mean, Batman, the animated series, uh, the, that, that whole Bruce, Tim aesthetic. It's like, I, I, I like some stylization, but I think for my taste when a design aesthetic goes so far, the other direction into cartoonish, cartoony, cartoonishness, <laughs> it, it becomes cartoonism. Uh, cartoonism, I love it. um, It it was. It just wasn't my taste. It it felt to me that it was something for kids, and there being for kids is in the DNA of Transformers, whether we like it or not. Even as we get older ourselves, it's like that. This is supposed to be content and material for kids. I mean, we can enjoy it as adults, but yeah, it's it's also supposed to be for kids, but. Long, long story short is it, it just wasn't it just wasn't for me. So and and I think by the time my friends were getting in my ear, it was almost kind of too far gone. Um, yeah. And now it's it has a weird place in history and almost I, I don't want to say a forgotten piece of history because like there, there's a lot of people that stand for TFA as much as the day is long. Heck but, yeah but it's not top of mind. Um, So it it is something that I think like perhaps the larger fandom has kind of moved on from. And I'm hoping that with this podcast, this, this will kind of blow off your fandom, like whether, whether you, you've, seen TFA before and wanted an excuse to come back for it, or if you're like me and experiencing this for the first time, I think our dynamic is going to give you a little bit of something for everybody because Michael Landers
1: you're, you're, you're like a super stand for, uh, for TFA. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if we're getting into our hopes and dreams a little bit um that's why I'm excited to do this with you because uh you, you know, you are seeing it for the first time. This is, I've, this is a show I've watched beginning to end several times. Uh, and, and now I'm seeing it again kind of through your, your eyes for the first time. So that's yeah. going to let me see new things, but also get excited about stuff again. Um, it's not just like listening to the same song over and over for once. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited for it to reinvigorate my love of Transformers in general. Um, i feel like i've gotten a little bit away with that just just some life stuff getting in the way so mm-hmm. i'm excited to get back into that and and you specifically mike i think have gone through like what i call the fanboy cycle i even wrote that down in my notes <laughs> the fanboy cycle of you know you started with a, a hardcore love of transformers from very young you, like you said you were there from the beginning mm-hmm. you went through your phase of like g1 only the original transformers movie is the only Transformers, not my Transformers hashtag, you know, that sort of uh-huh, thing. Uh-huh. And uh, now you're kind of back. Now you're kind of, you've gone full circle because now you sort of like different iterations. You're at that point where you can like look at things that are different and, and not hate them because they're different than G1, like them because they're different than G1. Yeah. So I, I'm excited to be going on this journey with someone like that, that's gone through like the, the full spectrum of, of Transformers fandom.
0: I love that the fanboy cycle. The we fanboy we need,
1: cycle. We're we need on to the other make side
0: a, of it. We need to make a button out of that or something. Yeah, that's a, that's, that, that's a ton of fun because yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it's like I I had kind of like that that staunch G one er perspective, but then I got to know more folks in the fandom, and I've I've grown an appreciation as as you've already eloquently said for stuff that's different and appreciating those differences because of the differences as opposed to resenting them for uh for the differences it's like oh well that that's not sideswipe that's just a corvette on roller skates it's like you know (laughs) that's and and now i i'm on the other side where i was like you know what that is a pretty damn cool character and and a you know pretty cool vibe and aesthetic and and all that other stuff so so i've I've come all the way back around in the in the uh, uh, fanboy cycle, as uh, as you say. <laughs> so basically, m- mechanically, let, let's let's talk about how, how we're kind of watching the show. So I don't have uh, I don't have TFA on physical media, so I am watching it on Tubi TV. Uh, Tubi is a free streaming service that you can um, uh, download as an app. Or watch it on your computer or smartphone. Um, I have it on my TV um, so I, I can watch it. I, I could watch this TV cartoon on TV. Um, and, and it was kind of funny. We, we fired it up, and my wife was like, well, "How how long have we had this? I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it was on the TV when we bought it. Yeah. Um, but Peter yeah. Rocks. Yeah, be Rocks. I mean, there's all kinds of cool stuff on there. Um, two Mike's
1: Too Furious, brought to you by Tubi TV.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, and because, like, I, I just want to make sure that that, that folks have uh, access to to be able to watch the shows. But uh, so when I watched Transform and Rollout exclamation point, it's presented. As three episodes Three uh, separate episodes That are presented as episodes One through three So when we were uh, Talking about watching this show and breaking it down episode by episode i thought the first episode was transform and roll out part one i didn't i didn't realize that it was a a um a larger pilot um but uh could you talk about you know kind of like how how you're watching it and how how you viewed this episode
1: yeah yeah Four that's episodes, really good i guess that's a really good point because uh for me you know that's never been like the first three episodes because the it sort of aired like a movie it aired uh if i remember correctly it aired prime time or pretty prime time as far as cartoon network goes um and i had i remember having my friends over for an event like they weren't necessarily interested in transformers but i was like you got to come over for this there's a new show it's kicking off with a movie like this is big um and so, yeah, so I, I sort of saw it first as a movie. And then later when the seasons came out, even the season one DVD collection doesn't have those first three episodes in it. You had to buy that separately. And it came like a movie on a disc um, called Transformers and Rollout. There wasn't this part one, part two, part three breakdown. It was just a movie on a separate disc. And then you started with episode one on the on the season one collection. So I've always kind of, in my mind, it's always been kind of broken up from the rest of the series. Like this is like a kickoff movie and then there's the series proper. So yeah, like you said, we had to kind of work through the logistics of, of is this an episode or, or is this a movie? Yeah. I, I was really confused.
0: Cause like, I kept talking about like episode one and, uh, <laughs> and, and the, epi- and the episode you were talking about, I was like, well, no, that that's episode four on, uh, on, on my thing. So <laughs> we may still yet, run into some of those uh uh some of those challenges but we'll uh uh we we will get through it (laughs) yeah yeah. i'm
1: sure well and i think to to add another point to that is that we've sort of taken on the fact that like collectively whether or not we talk about it as three episodes or a mini movie um this is sort of like a broad overview because i think you know after this sort of like three-part movie whatever you want to call it then we start to get into the episodes proper where like there's uh character-based episodes everyone gets their moment to shine and then we can kind of start talking about the logistics of it so i think for now for for our purposes we're going to keep this a little high level keep it mm-hmm. a little uh, fun kind of hopes and dreams for our show for for the show that we're watching and uh just what's to what's to come
0: absolutely and and with that let's uh let, let's uh dive right in as uh, as as they Bing. say <laughs> and um you know the 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 first thing that that strikes me about having watched transform and and roll out exclamation point that's why i'm going to keep calling it by the oh, way please, because, yeah because that's i i have a uh tether to that phrasing for for a number of different reasons so i like the exclamation point but this um this episode feels very, very much like a pilot. It's doing a lot of heavy lifting, a lot oh, of world yeah. building, and and it's a lot of info dumping in in a very short time. Um, you had uh, you had mentioned uh, before we started recording that you know more or less like this first ten minutes here is is very foundational and yes. and lays a lot of track and a lot of world building.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a there's a ton in the first 10 minutes alone. Um but it's not, you know, as you're watching it, you're not like, oh, they're info dumping. Like it does really feel really natural and then this like fast action starts picking up and there's not a moment to take a breath. It's it's action. It's it's steamrolling right through. And I think that really plays credit to uh Marty Eisenberg, who's the head head writer for the show. Um and if you look at other shows he's done, uh, notably Uh, ben 10 one of my other favorites um there is just sort of uh this like advanced level of writing and world building and he he takes time to really like think out a lot of the plot if not the entire plot of the series at least far enough in advance that you know he's dropping foreshadowing and easter eggs in the first episode where a lot of a lot of shows especially cartoons don't take the time to do that they just kind of you know we're going to be a monster of the week show and you know fun stuff's going to happen. This there seems to be more thought and and the more now I've watched this beginning movie several times and like the more I see it the more I'm like seeing things I didn't notice like oh my gosh she's just giving away the ending here or like and I don't want to spoil those things for you Mike who hasn't right. seen the entire series but there's you'll just have to trust me there's an incredible amount of foreshadowing just in these 10 minutes alone. See and that's fascinating because wh- one of
0: the things that that struck me about watching this is that there's so much payoff even within itself. Like, like there, there, there are several like character beats and gags that um, that get paid off almost immediately to where it's like, Oh, I mean, it, it feels very economical. It doesn't feel like anything is, is wasted. So I'm really excited. You've really wet my appetite now for like yeah. what's to come because like for as much as it pays off within itself, in the in this first pilot, that there's stuff lines being cast down the line. I I, I yeah. can't uh, I can't wait, but I I think you know we uh one of the one of the ongoing themes I think we'll talk about during this podcast is who is this for, and I think when you start the show, like the first it literally the first image you see out of that. Kinetic intro, which is very much of its time. The first image you see is the classic Autobot symbol, and already yes. it's just like, wait a sec, what? And then it's, uh you know, and friends had told me about this, and and I always, I always smiled and nodded politely and laughed. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. They, they, they took a, a G1 and made it a propaganda video. Oh, that's so funny without <laughs> without knowing the context, but. But seeing it, um, especially in this uh, presentation with like the 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 um, uh, fake video grain and where it's 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 footage from the classic episode War Dawn, where you see uh, uh, Megatron and the the kind of the rise of the Decepticons and Guardian robots and recontextualizing that as kind of a, a, a propaganda piece a propaganda video i i thought i thought was uh a a a very interesting way to start the series
1: yeah well i think it's a really smart way to start the series uh well i I do want to get some more of your thoughts on that but i think it's a very interesting way to start it smart way to start it because uh you know you are kind of speaking to the original g1 fan you can get them on board right away you can give them something they weren't expecting to see um and then you can kind of do whatever you want now you now you hook them in for a little bit but i guess along with that yeah let's talk about it the very the very first thing you see in the show is this uh original footage from the original series and that's sort of like their historical war footage what they're saying with this is like here's actual like footage of of the battle that is behind us now and way in the past how do you feel about that mike uh you know is that sort of like too on the nose or is that too much continuity from the original series for you or do you like that it's sort of uh you know connecting to the original series in that way actually making it canon for within the show
0: i you know i i kind of i kind of went through the uh uh fanboy cycle um in that like first i i thought it was cool that oh hey g1 but then i thought it was kind of odd because we learn almost immediately just by the fact that it's optimus prime watching this video um that it's it's not a continuation of g1 tfa Cannot be a continuation of G one just because yeah. of of the characters and situations and their contextualization of the old war is completely different. So so like right. by that it, it can't be a continuation. So my so my brain was kind of noodling through that trying to figure out like well if it's not a continuation then then what is this then? And really what it is is where where the cycle comes around. It's like oh they're using old footage, one to kind of tickle some um, uh, tickle the nostalgia a little bit, but then use it and recontextualize it as, as something new and different. And I think it sends the message immediately, especially since it's Optimus that's watching it. And especially since Ratchet is there uh, with him and there is clearly a age gap and divide like where you know even even optimus says like you were there all the great autobot leaders learned from the past look around prime the great wars ended centuries ago but you were there ratchet you saw some action what would the decepticons really like
1: trust me kid you're better off not knowing
0: you know and and even the the um Mention that it was millions of years ago. So it's like not only is the war over, but the war has been over for millions of years before we even meet these characters. So it's like it, it's it, it gets my brain turning almost immediately that these are Autobots that have had millions of years of peacetime, and that's yeah that that really kind of gets it cooking but then also lays the groundwork that that Optimus Prime is a bit of a history buff which which yeah. is a nice little bit of character i think i think that's a um i i think that's interesting footing to start him off with cuz like this this just this this opening dialogue between him and ratchet ratchet was there ratchet has seen some shit Um, As 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 we learn, the more we get to know him, it's like his his grouchiness is directly informed by his PTSD and and, um, you know, just kind of like his his the imprint, the war left on him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, along with that, okay, let me just run through like what you learn in the first ten minutes. Then we can kind of maybe go back and dig into some deeper stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, you you learn that uh, the eighty four series. I mean, we've kind of broken it down now, but the eighty four series is kind of basically history. This is a long time removed from from what we saw. Um. We're introduced to a ragtag group of. Sp- Spacebridge bridge grunts this is sort of uh like a construction team that's going out and like repairing old space bridges they have they have nothing to do with the war necessarily they're just kind of out there uh uh you know doing grunt work doing the doing the blue collar stuff um they stumble across the all spark uh which is a legendary artifact that at this point some cybertronians don't even believe in um, and it was sent through the space bridge to end the war. And this is like a classic, uh, shoot the hostage situation, right? Like someone at some point said, we got to get rid of the Allspark just to stop the war. Um, and maybe it wasn't the best idea, but they're like, Hey, let's shoot out into space. And then once it's gone, either Megatron will go play fetch or he'll at least not have something to, uh, keep, keep after. Mm-hmm. Um, and real quick here. I, I love this. Of course, because the Allspark was actually a concept that was f- introduced in the first live-action movie. Um, so that's a great tie-in for me, and I just love that they like took that little bit of lore and like kind of like canonized it into something else. So made a little more real. I I like
0: that for a stretch, the Allspark became the. The the MacGuffin of choice for Transformers lore, even as recently as the as the War for Cybertron series on Netflix.
1: Yeah. Well, I bring it up because I don't think a lot of people realize that that's something that came from the live action movies. This, you know, it's so easy to shit on the Michael Bay movies that uh, we kind of forget that that there's some like established lore that we that we got from those. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's in there. I think that also. Something to establish that's important is that Optimus has history with Sentinel Prime and Ultra Magnus, and uh, if you remember our little uh, soft, soft open episode for that we did about uh, that the Halloween episode quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, I mentioned that this this is one of my favorite things about it is that there's sort of like this this backstory between Sentinel and Optimus that we get right away, like that there's something there. He has some background from this. And we also see Ultra Magnus, who's in a very high position of power. And that was exciting to see one of my favorite characters of all time, like within this first 10 minutes. So, yeah, if you're keeping track at home, we already have a lot of stuff uh, just in the first 10 minutes. And we're also getting that the Decepticons. um, This is really interesting. The Decepticons at this point are sort of sort of boogeymen, right? They're long gone. A few people um, believe they still exist. Some some Cybertronians don't believe that they ever existed. We're talking about so far out from a war that uh people don't even think that that faction exists. And mm-hmm. it's a little, now that I'm thinking about it, it's a little bit of uh it's getting a little too real. Cause it kind of reminds me of like Holocaust deniers, right? Mm. Like you become so far removed from a thing that you sort of like, either you're pretending on some level that it doesn't exist or, or you really just don't think it does. Um, Cause you've, you know you're just reading out of it out of you know through books yeah well and and i think having ratchet as part of
0: that crew helps ground that and 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 puts a a tether to it because like anytime they're talking about the decepticons and megatron in in kind of like those those hushed tones you've you've got ratchet with that perspective of having been there that 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 I, I think puts it more in a, um, more in a, a grounded, realistic footing. Uh, not, well, that's not-
1: true. But then you also have, uh, you know, Optimus is pretty much the only one on that crew that sort of believes him or sort of, you know, as the history buff, he's sort of treating it like, you know, what you're saying is factual truth. Um, whereas, you know, Bumblebee, Bulkhead and Prowl sort of see Ratchet as, you know kind of like cups war stories uh from from the movie like like did it happen this way or is this really cuz i think i think even at some point bumblebee makes mention of like megatron like
0: megatron as in the cruel and vicious decepticon leader who eats autobot protoforms for breakfast
1: you know like it's he, such it's such a darth vadery you know mythical character at this mm-hmm. point that you know can we believe in it
0: yeah no i i think that's um yeah, you're absolutely right. I and i i was gonna I was gonna double down on your analogy earlier with uh with with having Ratchet there. It, it would be the equivalent of having a a survivor of the Holocaust there with you, you know. Yeah. And you're talking about like Holocaust deniers, and it'd be like, yeah, dude, I was there hey yeah
1: (laughs) and how frustrating it must be for him that like no one's taking him seriously that megatron did in fact exist that this war happened then you have these like punk kids that are just out there doing you know their summer construction job to make a few bucks and uh they don't they don't care
0: i like that we meet this autobot crew the way that they are you know they're they're very naive they're a bunch of dumb kids um especially bulkhead and bumblebee they're they're you know they're knuckleheads
1: (laughs) (laughs) right right well and to round out this uh this uh first 10 minutes here oh sure yeah the last thing we learn is uh that the Decepticons do in fact exist. Uh, We actually see them. We see a crew of them on a ship um, sort of doing their Decepticon infighting that we've come to know and love about the Decepticons. Um, And I think that scene is great because, and I totally forgot it existed until I rewatched this, that they show you all the Decepticons right then and there. And it's shadowy and it's dark and you can kind of, you're only kind of going by silhouettes, kind of who's that Decepticon Uh Pokemon style.
0: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: But, but, it shows them, you know, it shows right away. Like if you're if you're questioning if the Decepticons still exist, question no more. Here they are. Um, and that's kind of the last bit of like uh world building you just get in this wham bam first 10 minutes. Um and if we can go back a little bit too. Please. Uh oh, another I, I, thing.
0: W- I wanna go back too. I I yeah. yeah. I want to give
1: break down the characters a little bit too, but yeah, yeah, I think it's really cool that um, you know, we talked about like denying you know if you believe that the war happened if you believe that the Decepticons are still here whether or not um nobody uh well this is something true for the show that nobody knows megatron still exists like both autobots and decepticons are sort of like uh well you see it now you see the autobots don't know that megatron still exists and then later in the show you see the decepticons not believing that megatron still exists so we <laughs> in one show we get to see like both factions kind of like truly existing without the shadow of megatron and i yeah. think that's something that's kind of really cool and unique to this this series
0: that yeah that and that i i get the feeling that's going to change a great deal of dynamics Because, like you know, jumping all the way to the end of this episode, where Megatron is essentially a a captive and with without any kind of autonomy that that I've seen, um, I I get the feeling he's going to find a way to break out of that ice as 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 he always Mm, does.
1: Possibly,
0: (laughs) but it's it for my takeaway at the end of transform and roll out is that basically Megatron is off the board and has like been off the board. And that's, that's, that it's interesting. uh, Storytelling devices that are um, similar to the 2007 movie and TFA. It's like they, they share a couple things in that, one, the Allspark is is the MacGuffin, and then two, you know, Megatron is not just um, off the board in terms of like a a player in the dynamics, but is also integral to the development of human technology. It's like both. Yeah. of those, Now, now they they handle it very differently. In that, like you know, in in the two thousand seven movie, it's it's more like you know america has 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 taken this uh, giant robot and have have retrofitted um you know this technology for like you know all all of society whereas uh some industries is is one dude i mean i mean this yeah yeah i mean it's a it, it's it's a real jeff bezos elon musk situation
1: yeah well where, and also the the difference too is that it's sort of become the technology made it sort of a utopia. It's made it's made uh, Detroit into like a utopia society almost. And it's interesting because I don't know. I was going to ask you this, Mike, when we get a little mm. later into it, but maybe yeah, I'll ask yeah. you now. Sure. Um, do you do you get the takeaway that that the world is benefiting from Sumdex inventions, or do you, or do you think it's like just this city on the map that is? Is uh, sort of progressing faster than the rest of the world because of these inventions.
0: I I took the is narr- Detroit
1: a prototype city? I guess
0: right. Yeah, that th- that's my take. And I I took the narration literally, where like in the um, I, I guess the second act, you know, kind of opens up with you see, like you you see, fifty years later the the cityscape and the highways and burger bot and you know kind of like this this stylized um new detroit and it says something to the effect of you know detroit has become a utopia back in the early 20th century detroit was known as the motor city the automobile manufacturing capital of the world Today, Detroit is once again the world's leading manufacturer, not of automobiles, but automatons, robots, or as we hear it, some DAC systems like to call them our tireless mechanical partners, ever reliable, never complaining. So I took that on its face literally to mean just Detroit um, sure.
1: and still just Detroit, that it's yep. just kind of a, the bright spot in a otherwise like, dark world
0: a bubble so it's like sure. i don't i don't think the sumdac robots right. exist outside of this area um right. i mean we'll see how that goes i'll be yeah and it's the this is going to be kind of one of the interesting dynamics as well is because like there there are a couple things since since this this you know show is over 15 years old now there are certain things that are just part of like the lexicon like you know it's like you know that that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. You you know that Bucky Barnes is the Winter Soldier, you know. There yeah. so there are some empirical things about Transformers animated that I know, but I don't know the context. So really what this is going to be about is not so much me learning like the hard spoilers, but for me learning the context for um uh for those things. So sure. Like So we're going to run into stuff like this where you know something, Michael Andrews, and the audience might know something, you that have watched TFA before. um, Or you could be like me and some of my friends who are going through some of this the first time. I just like the idea of putting some of these things out in the world uh, yeah. for folks to interact with one way or the other. It's like Mike sounds like a real dum-dum or like, <laughs> oh, there's stuff he doesn't know.
1: Yeah. Um, um, well, I think that's going to be one of my biggest challenges is how do I talk about foreshadowing without telling you it's foreshadowing? It's something I'm still kind of working on. I even have like little notes in here that are like secret foreshadowing to remind myself is like, go ahead and don't talk about it yet. Uh, see, if, <laughs> see if Mike brings it up. Um, yeah maybe at the very end of this whole show i can go back and all these things i've labeled secret foreshadowing i can i can finally uh point out to you um but just to dial it just to dial it back a little bit uh i guess rewind maybe transform and rewind here uh exclamation point yeah we should talk about um we wanted to keep this kind of high level but i think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about at least the cast of autobots that we see if not getting into you know, voices and stuff like that today, I think we should talk about uh, who, who we do see and then I, kind yeah. of, and then kind of a little like historical breakdown uh, uh what kind of, what we're seeing from a high level of, of this three part series and and what it means for the rest of the show.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I do want to maybe run through that first. So yeah. what we see in those, at the end of those first 10 minutes is that uh, kind of recoup where we were at just a minute ago megatron uh is destroyed he's lost to space and this is in no small part to scheming starscream which is seems to be a trope <laughs> that we follow all through transformers right you know you know exactly that uh they're sort of like frenemies and that starscream is going to betray megatron at some point and we see it right away he causes he attaches uh, an explosive de- device to megatron megatron blows up that's how uh you know, Megatron's head ends up on Earth, where it's found in a cornfield. It's discovered by Isaac Sumdak as a little kid. And then Optimus steers the ship, uh, a crashing his crashing arc. He steers that away from civilization into Lake Erie, which triggers an emergency stasis mode for the crew. Um, and that's where they, they go into slumber for 50 years. And, Mike, I was hoping you could remind me, how long are the Autobots in slumber in the original series? Was that um, like... Four, four million, million years. years, yeah, yeah. So here's a much shorter time. They're just underwater for fifty years compared to the the fifty million years they spent in that vol or sorry, the four million years they spent in the volcano,
0: yeah. so okay. so um I, I know you got more notes, but can we stop there for a second? Yeah. because that that there there's there there's a couple things to unpack. um, one, Time travel seem, seems to proceed in a weird way in Transformers lore. So back in 1984, you have the, the time jump of four million years with the implication that the war has continued with the, uh, both leaders and command structure of both the Autobots and the Decepticons off the board which is fascinating storytelling in its own type of thing, but it's, it's really just um, a storytelling device to get the transformers to present day, you know, present day being 1984. Yeah. Um, so, cause it sounds very cool in sci-fi for it to be, you know, many millions of years ago and, and, and that kind of thing. But over time, It's become like we've seen this a lot in comic books and stuff where it's just like, oh, no, the the war has just been happening for millions and millions of years. And there there is an aspect of that trope that I don't know if I understand. I don't know why it needs to be uh, tens of millions of years, because really the the jump of millions of years, again, is just to get the Transformers to present day. So I don't I don't know it just at, at a time where you don't have to do that um cuz yeah. like in like in the uh, IDW comics every iteration of it where it's they just show up on earth in present day but they've been having this millions year war and I I don't know it just it, yeah. it just makes my brain itch specific <laughs> specifically here with TFA there there's a few things that I don't understand one um, we we learn after the Autobots reawaken in Detroit and start interacting with the humans that they have no idea or understanding about what humans are in fact like when they first see sorry they assume that she's the pet of the robot dog right uh, and, right and right the right it says like hey man have you have you uh have you lost your uh your your robot master or something some, i don't think that fine yeah. but but more or less like the implication that these squishy organic life forms would would be pets.
1: What is that thing? <laughs> Must be some kind of pet. Why would the four-legged bot want a <laughs> pet that big? Whoa.
0: Hi, little creature. My name's Bulkhead. Did you lose your owner bot?
1: Well, and along with that, too, another one of my favorite moments in the whole show is that Bumblebee, when he says something to the effect of like, does nobody talk on this planet? Because he's like asking cars and vehicles like questions. I thought that was a great little joke and kind of, you know, more world building that they don't know anything outside of like you know, robotic organisms.
0: Mm-hmm. Bumblebee gets some really great lines and we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about those uh, a, as we, we come to them. But the, the thing that, that struck me as weird is like, so, so the ship comes out on the other side of the space bridge and Optimus needs to take manual control to prevent from uh, crashing and destroying the civilization. If, they don't know what humans are. How do they know what this society is and that they need to avoid um destroying it? That mm. you got any insight on that?
1: Well, I think they, I think they saw buildings and lights and maybe, maybe just they detect electricity. And to them, that was like, Oh, there's life down there. Right. Like maybe that's why I think, I, I just think it was, uh you know, unlike when, in the other, in the old series, when when they're crashing into just like trees and jungle and stuff like that, this was very clear. Like, oh, this is different. This is like a, a a structure, and this is signs of life, no matter what. And and I think that classic optimist kicked in and was like, "Hey, just in case this can't this can't hit here." Absolutely, and maybe I, you know, maybe he didn't even know. Maybe there wasn't uh, uh like that civilization. He was just like aim for water because we didn't have time to properly scan this planet for life. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Well, and, and you could see out
0: the window that you could see the cityscape. So you you could see what they're avoiding. So if, if they think that vehicles are life forms, so yeah, maybe they saw a bunch of cars, you know, there, there's,
1: there's any number of, or there was just like an electromagnetic uh, you know, center in this spot that there wasn't somewhere else. And it's like, Oh, that, that could be, our brethren down there, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and and one of the things that I, I'm sure this won't be the last time that uh, this comes up. the 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 explanation I want to avoid is shrug.
1: Well, it's a kid's cartoon because yeah,
0: the, the the writing on this show is way too clever for that.
1: Yes, um, yeah, they don't and- they don't do a lot of that. Uh, just kind of throwaway stuff. It's it's important and it's got a story beat um, in a lot of cases. <laughs>
0: But that being said, I, other than to have the Transformers off the board for um, more or less the story has to happen. You need to have a time jump for Isaac Sumdak to tinker with Megatron's head and to grow up to be a renowned scientist and for New Detroit to blossom the way it is for the Autobots to, to reemerge there. I don't understand other than that uh, for the need of going into stasis. I I just, I didn't, especially with Mm. it being voluntary. Um,
1: Sure. I I don't. Well, I would argue that, that just the, uh, the setting alone of this, you know, utopian Detroit that has been spawned from the, from learning about the technology of, cybertronian technology from megatron's head which you found in a cornfield um i think it i think that, <laughs> right right so i think for just from a from a setting of you know we needed time to like build up this city that's sort of based around this technology reasonably there's also a little nod to well i think if you were like show running this show and you wanted to plot out some easter eggs it'd be like well the Autobots have to go into stasis, right? Or like yeah. someone does. We need a little, we need a little throwback to that. And then waking up so you can get the classic like Teletran moment, uh, and the scanning of vehicles. Yeah, yeah. The Sky thing.
0: Spy, you know, explore, explore, yeah. repair, repair. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. And and outside of that, though, the rest, I can't. This is a secret foreshadowing moment, secret foreshadowing moment that I don't want to maybe get into. But but I will say Um, just like a lot of the things in this show, it's not without reason that, that some time has passed and, and there's other, there's other sort of, um, cool things that come out of that passage of time Mm -hmm. that I'm glad they didn't uh, skip that. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, and so if I can really quickly, um, Maybe not really quickly. We don't do anything quickly here. No. But <laughs> we should, if we're talking about the crew going into stasis, maybe this is a good time to maybe just at least talk about the crew that's going into stasis before we get too far out of ourselves. I want to talk about these, Mike, because I want to get your kind of take of, of are these archetypal characters for you? Like, do, we, do you get who they are in that first 10 minutes? Do you get to uh, squint test and sort of see... Who these archetypes are so first i'll just go through them real quick and then we can mm-hmm. kind of break down some of their character traits and and what you thought of them sure so of course we have optimus prime we see him and uh, ratchet on the bridge chatting uh he's he's kind of their leader although it's not as maybe necessarily as established of of i am the leader of the autobots as it has been heavy-handed in, in some other properties um we have ratchet who's just kind of the old guy left over from the great war, kind of grumpy, you know, the, the sort of like Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, uh, you know, which I think is great. Um, and, and to your point earlier, when you said, uh, he's seen some shit, uh, this show is going to break down exactly the shit he saw onto and into the third season. So you won't even know the whole, what shit he's seen until the end of the show. Um, and it's quite incredible. Wow. Uh, We have we have Prowl, who I think is really interesting character because he's set up to be just sort of like this brash, young, cocky, doesn't need the crew, can do it all by himself. And we typically see this a little bit more from Bumblebee. Mm-hmm. So when you see Prowl, it's kind of like, well, what's Bumblebee going to be if we already have like the cocky, arrogant, you know, who, who Who? I don't need anybody else? Um, I think that's one thing really interesting they did with Prowl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, We get Bulkhead, who i just love bulkhead this is you know a character that was kind of invented for this show he's sort of a stand-in for hound he's just kind of a simple brute but you're kind of like... ironhide too sort of yeah oh yeah for yeah, sure you know,
0: just like a, a salt of the earth blue collar dude
1: yeah yeah just a big just a big lovable grunt uh and i do love him he's uh you know for doing favorites he's probably my favorite Uh, of the original Autobot cast here. And then finally, uh, this is a sore spot for me a little bit that we have Bumblebee um, rounds out the crew. Mm -hmm. He's kind of the youngest, uh, fieriest of them all. He's not necessarily cocky. That's kind of prowls job, but he, he is sort of that like young buck of, you know, Mm self-confidence and he's a sore spot for me because uh, he was supposed to be hotshot. This was originally supposed to be Hotshot in this cast. Um, in fact, there's even a prototype toy made of Hotshot from this show that was going to be like in the first toys released from it. Um, but at the last second, because of the movie that I love so friggin' much, they decided to make it Bumblebee. So, what you guys maybe don't know, but Hotshot is like my all time favorite character in all of Transformers. There's a whole big backstory. You can listen to a bunch of other podcasts to find out about it. But, um, when i found this out later on that he you know that he was replaced by bumblebee it was kind of like oh what could have been there's sort of this there's always been sort of this like bumblebee why yeah. do we need this shelf warming bastard here when we could have got hotshot well see and and it's interesting to to pick at that
0: a little further too because hotshot in a sense is a substitute for Bumblebee for the time when Hasbro didn't have the rights to the name. Right. So in a, in a weird kind of way, hotshot is Bumblebee and Bumblebee is hotshot in, in, (laughs) in in a lot of kind of ways. And you throw some hot rod in there too, because like, I think, I think both of those characters kind of occupy that same kind of role. So this, this incarnation of Bumblebee is, is interesting to me. And, you know, we, we recently did a, o- over on my channel, on Mike Seibert Radio, uh, we, we did a deep dive discussion about Transformers Earthspark. And having seen where Danny Pudi's performance of that elder veteran Bumblebee almost feels like that Bumblebee is this guy like like when he's like super young and super brash but then after he's grown and matured he becomes the the earth spark version i i know that it's different continuities and that's not exactly i just mean spiritually oh yeah because like it 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 just kind of feels like that tfa bumblebee feels like the young version of um
1: of earth spark bumblebee so i I, yeah i it's so funny though that you say that because like when I first saw Armada, I never really made that connection. Even though I mean, other than Hotshot was yellow, I was never like, oh, this is a stand-in for Bumblebee. Like for me, it was like this totally different character. And this is like my dumb moment of like, oh yeah, they obviously, yeah, one informed the other. But yeah, it's a weird kind of chicken and egg situation now yeah. where I was like pissed that Bumblebee <laughs> stood in for Hotshot when Hotshot, you know, probably someone was feeling that about Hotshot standing in for Bumblebee mm-hmm. back in the Armada days.
0: Well, and, and again, the, the movie really propelled Bumblebee in a way that I I don't know if any of us were ready for. It's like, you know, it's like in terms of like the the hierarchy, it's like uh, Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, question mark. And then even as we would get into like, you know, Cyberverse and stuff like that, it'd be like, bumblebee first i mean it's like that over over the last 15 years i guess that there's there's been a really big push for bumblebee to the point where i think some folks in the fandom almost have bumblebee fatigue where it's like bumblebee again yeah um and and i'm one of them and 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 this is kind of like sort of the beginning of that i guess because again you get you get the movie and then you get this so it's like yeah
1: this exactly i mean to that point like can you imagine back in 2007 like it's crazy now right bumblebee's at the forefront of everything bumblebee has become the mascot of transformers but but back in 2007 before this show came on someone was like hold up should we maybe switch this to bumblebee like bumblebee was so kind of off the charts at that point they were like yeah they had to have a conversation about the last second. Should we make this Bumblebee? That's that's really funny to me.
0: Well, and and even then, going further back to G1, I mean it's you know, Bumblebee was always like a fun character, but I mean Certainly not on anyone's Mount Rushmore, but um,
1: well, so I wanted to ask uh, of, of the Autobots that we've been introduced to and now in, in just the first 10 minutes and kind of for the majority of the show, um, Optimus, Ratchet, Prowl, Bulkhead, Bumblebee. um, What is your kind of squint test, I guess, uh, or for who these archetypes are? What do you expect out of them? And, and do you have a favorite?
0: Yeah, all all terrific questions. So um I, I do I do have thoughts about this uh this group of Autobots. I, I do think it's a it's an interesting, well-rounded team, and it, it feels like uh when the uh, showrunners the writers were coming up with this it felt to me like they were building a superhero team it's like you know you you, you need you need a you know you need like a scout you need a brute you need a a, a mysterious hothead you know it's like you know on and on and on you know it's yeah. like you know you start ticking certain archetypal boxes and it feels like this well-rounded cast fits fits those roles uh very well i like this version of optimus i like that he's youthful maybe a little naive but also capable and and we see that right away like like right off again this show doesn't waste anything it's like he's he's shown that he is um he's He's young, but he's capable, like in terms of like, you know, his his Combat skills, his his um, uh, proficiency with the melee weapon, with 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 his battle axe, to the point where it even gets Ratchet's attention. He's like, "Wait a second, what what's your deal?" And even Bumblebee throws out like this little line of world building. It's like, "Man, you should be you should be in the elite guard." And I'm like, "Elite guard? What the hell is that?" Yes, uh, y- you know. And it's just like that little bit of of world building is so cool. But um, I. Ah, Optimus Prime is a really tough character to get absolutely right because there have been so many iterations, so so many different versions, and I I mean not to be a G one er about it, but I I still like the the G one presentation of Peter Collins Optimus Prime, where basically like he is a strong leader, but he's He's also kind of a goofy dad. Um, You know, he he plays basketball and he makes mistakes and, you know, he makes errors in judgment and so he, and he's not infallible.
1: So I, I think that. But without being that sort of, as you've kind of maybe said before, like that optimist that um, yeah, makes mistakes, but is just so fucking sorrowful about it for so long like yeah. you've mentioned before that uh, you know you don't really care for that take of Optimus of like mm-hmm. I made one mistake and I'm fucking forever just uh, about it
0: yeah um, I don't like maudlin Optimus Prime I, right, I don't like right. self-loathing Optimus Prime and and conversely I don't like Optimus Prime that's a young dummy you know it's yeah. like 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 the, the War for Cybertron version he's a dummy and yeah. I mean, I, I don't mind him going through trials and learning things, but, but I don't want him to be a dum-dum and, and TFA Optimus is not a dum-dum. He's, 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 he's young and I, I I love that take, you know, usually, usually I don't because like, I've always thought where like at a, at a, um, in a franchise that has hot rod and Rodimus prime. Those are the characters that you can do that type of storytelling with, like the, the reluctant leader, the the brash, young hotshot, pardon the phrase, um, that, that learns maturity. And it's like, that's that's all hot Rod Rodimus stuff. Uh, keep that out of my Optimus Prime. But like, um, I, I think a lot of it is David Kay's performance uh, as a yeah. voice actor. But but I, I'm I glad- like I like this Optimus.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because you know I know we don't want to get into uh, maybe voice actors in this high level, but uh, I only relatively recently found out that David Kay was the voice of this Optimus, and. If you back in two thousand and seven, with if my buddies that I was watching it with were any kind of Transformers fans, if one of them would have leaned over and said, "Hey, I think the voice of this Optimus is uh, Megatron from Beast Wars and Beast Machines and Armada," mm-hmm. I'd have been like, "You're effing nuts, dude! Like, there's no way those voices are the same." Um, and it is. It's. It's this. They took a diabolical, uh, iconic voice actor and then made him the hero of this series. I think that's incredible. And it speaks a lot to his chops as a voice actor. I I don't know what he's doing to young it up but it's like he, he sounds useful
0: and it's, and, and it it is the, the polar opposite of like the, the grim gravitas that it, that is beast wars, Megatron. And it's,
1: it's so interesting. And I wonder, and I just kind of wonder the foresight that someone had to have to be like, this is our most iconic villain voice. Let's see what he can do with the hero. Like incredible, incredible.
0: And and he's still now the only actor who has played both roles that has been both Optimus Prime and
1: Megatron, which I, I think is 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 really fascinating. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, so okay, back to my uh, question. Yep. You know, yep. do you do you have a do you have a favorite? Anything standing out from this crew so far?
0: Uh my favorite is Ratchet. I I yeah. am I am a sucker for a grizzled old grump. Like, you know, I I've been watching Transformers the movie for the last 36 years and um even as a kid, I kind of gravitated to Cup because, um, you know, he's, he's, he's very grandfatherly, but also grouchy. He's got, like, these cool stories that may or may not actually be cool. Um, and I see a lot of that in in Ratchet. But being kind of, like, a, a grouchy older person myself, I kind of gravitate to those characters. But I understand now in a way that I haven't. Um, because, like, younger fans have really latched onto ratchet in a way that I I've never really understood. It's like uh, I go to, to TF cons and I see no shortage of ratchet cosplayers and I'm just like, what is it about ratchet that, 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 that resonates with people. And I think starting with this characterization in TFA and even some of it from, from the 2007 movie as well, I think there's a little bit of spillover, but like, This is this is kind of evergreen ratchet. This is what I hoped or like Mandela affected what G1 ratchet is like G1 ratchet doesn't really have a whole lot of personality. It's like his 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 voice acting is is vaguely grumpy, but it's really just kind of like he's just like the doctor guy. Yeah I, I like a ratchet that's Bones McCoy from, from Star Trek. Yes. You know, oh, that's good. yeah and, and and this this version of Ratchet to the point where it's like, you know, oh are you gonna come on this adventure ratchet? Yeah, no, somebody needs to stay here and do analysis. And, and he does it like Someone's gotta analyze this thing. Besides, who needs a bot with one servo in the scrap heap? Not gonna let that one go. Are you? No. You know, very, very dismissively, and he's very grouchy. Even like when they scan their new forms, it's like, oh, hey, this is so great. Ooh, it's roomy. Oh, this is fast. And and uh, <laughs> Ratchet's like, eh, this'll do. I, I got a soft spot for a grump, and and uh, and I think my my younger friends in the fandom do as well. So if I if I had to pick a a favorite now, I would go with Ratchet. On the flip side of it, if we're going least favorites, now we saw a lot of character growth within Transform and Rollout. Now, but here's a
1: very ratchet take on it, right? What's what's yeah. my least favorite
0: thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't yeah. I enjoy? What a, a note that I wrote uh, in in my seven page notebook here, <laughs> all caps. Prowl is a dick. <laughs> 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 and, and I saw a couple of folks picked up on that on Twitter yeah I saw broadcast. that in your screenshot and, yeah yeah is yeah, a dick I mean he's 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 aloof he's not a team player and I, I you know jumping ahead to the end of the episode i I think he learned some lessons uh, an especially potent one um uh, yeah. uh towards the end there you know it's like he he gets it but I think that even even going forward I think there's still gonna be some of that elusiveness yeah. I don't I I I feel very conflicted because like I think you know, be, being a G.I. Joe fan I I understand the value of having a elusive mysterious um, ninja on on your team I'm I'm a huge snake eyes fan he, he yeah. is he is one of my very favorite characters and this version of prowl feels like he's trying to be discount snake eyes now the mm. thing the thing about snake eyes though is he is loyal to his friends to to a fault yeah. whereas prowl he's he's a hot-headed ninja that you know i mean yeah i mean he's got the skills yeah. it's like you you, you just got to know the weak point but it, he he's, he's got some lessons to learn and I'm hoping in terms of like hopes and dreams that he continues to learn and continues to grow, but taking like, I don't know. Like I, I, I like that he's a motorcycle, you know? So I, I, like I, you know, motorcycle says ninja to me, I guess. Cause you know, just in terms of like agility, speed, um, sure. stealth, things like that. I mean, that, that kind of plays, um, I like his character model that you know, kind of like he's a, a highway patrol style motorcycle cop. That that's kind of neat. But um, I don't know, man. Th- th- this is one that you 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 were asking about um archetypes. Mm-hmm. Optimus Prime feels like Optimus Prime, Ratchet feels like Ratchet, Bumblebee feels like Bumblebee. Bulkhead, brand new character. So so can't say that. Prowl is the one that doesn't quite fit for me, which I think though, fans of the IDW comics would be like, what are you talking about? Prowl is a dick (laughs) is is a straight up. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but that, that, that wasn't always that way. Like I, I grew up with, with Prowl being, you know, kind of like kind of a a stoic, you know, like a stoic military tactician, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily aloof where sure. tfa prowl is aloof he he doesn't want to be with these people he yeah. he he only has uh there's only one bot that he can rely on me
1: we're a team remember and we need to know we can depend on each other only one bot i depend on me
0: yeah. you know and and so that that doesn't scream prowl to me so so in terms of like things that are that don't pass the squint test it's 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 prowl for me
1: yeah well that's interesting that you say that prowl uh is such a fascinating character um and without getting too far ahead and giving too much away uh he is one of the main reasons he's interesting is because in a show that is like we've said is for kids and you need to establish these archetypes uh and character you know builds right away uh something happens even at the end of this of this mini movie this little arc that we're Mm -hmm. in that changes him for the rest of the series. It was a really bold move to say, let's, you know, here's these established archetypes. We're changing one of them. Um, I think that's something that's really cool. And, but it always lingers that, that sort of arrogance and aloofness that you're talking about. That isn't completely course corrected in him. That's not something that goes away. And now he's this new transformed individual. That's something he has a demon. He has to deal with throughout the series. um, That's just sort of lingering there. I think yeah. that's just way beyond what you need to do with a character at this uh, at, you know at a Transformers reboot airing on Cartoon Network.
0: Exactly. And and, and But they there, went for it. And and there's a depth and richness. I I I like that he's a dick. I mean, I mean don't don't get me wrong, like even though it doesn't necessarily pass my squint test, I'm coming to this looking for something different. So when I'm looking for something different, I, I'm, I'm definitely getting, um, definitely getting what, uh, uh, what I'm looking for there. So, um, so, so let's flip the, the faction symbol to the other side and, and run through some of these bad guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we do see them in a, a kind of a shadowy uh, interior uh, Decepticon ship scene, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've I've kind of been back and forth about this because. I forgot that this scene even happened. So oh. as I was watching, you know, as I go back and rewatch the show, it was like fun seeing these villains pop up. I totally forgot that they show you all the Decepticons you're going to see throughout season one uh, in this moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the a couple notable ones that they do mention, and this again we're going backwards, but this is all in the first ten minutes still. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they mention Blitzwing by name. And they mm-hmm. mention Black Arachnia by name, mm-hmm. and I think this is very cool and very smart because it gives you a couple character like little um, breadcrumbs to follow, little tidbits, a little tantalize, uh, you know. There, but you get you get Blitzwing; it's a it's a G one name that we know and love. Um, boom, there it is. is? And then Black Arachnia; it shows that something from beast wars is not off the table. Something from other borrowing from other lore and factions is not uh, off the table. And I think that's a theme that we see throughout this show that, that we're going to take from everything, you know, about transformers, not just G one.
0: And, and that's the thing that my friends keep telling me over and over. It's like, you have to watch this. This is for you. Um, So I, I do want to talk about this, uh, uh, this this roll call scene pretty extensively because yeah. like it's I, I think the reason why you get a scene like this is because you don't get to see any of these other people. I mean, aside from Starscream, but you, you don't see the trio of uh, uh, Blitzwing, Black Blackarachnia and Lugnut ever again. Like for me, this is my only time interacting with these characters and I love the setting. I I love the, uh, uh, the shadows and all that, but it does feel very roll call to me. Like, like, okay, well, let's, let's meet all of these characters in a very short economical, uh, uh, time to where it's like, everybody gets a moment, but it also kind of feels like, not that it's manufactured that that's that that's not the right term i'm looking for and 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 forced isn't the the term i'm looking for either but it just it really feels like we're trying to do a lot of groundwork very quickly and it does it very effectively it's a great scene
1: i seriously doubt we'll find this all spark aboard such an insignificant vessel Trainer.
0: Megatron is wise! Megatron is bold! Megatron will return the Decepticons! To Cybertron! And, it- and wipe our homeland clean of the stench of Autobot tear in a blah blah blah. Did you memorize that speech, Lugnut? Or is it just hardwired into that thick one-track processor
1: of yours? As usual, Black Arachnea, your demeanor is unpleasant as that accursed organic mode of yours. Blow it out your actuator, Three-Face. The name is Blitzwing, Insect! Remember it! Cause it's the last thing you're gonna hear before I express my feelings in song! The itsy-bitsy spider-cross- You are out here right now,
0: now. now Just keep it, it down! No one marks the world of Megatron! <laughs> You know, you get uh Lugnut being like, well, hey, you know, why why you know Megatron is strong, you know, Megatron is the best, and and so you learn a little bit about Lugnut that you know he's he's almost kind of like the uh G1 cartoon shockwave type of thing. Like the 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 vibe I get from Lugnut is that he is fiercely loyal to Megatron to the point where he has these things. I I don't know the extent of Lugnut's vocabulary. It feels like it's very limited, mm-hmm. to the point where Black Arachnia says, "Like, okay, not this speech again. You've practiced it. Blah 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 blah." Which, of course, you learn you know about black arachnia that she's that she's sassy that she doesn't take a lot of shit she's impatient
1: and, and that they've all been hanging out with each other maybe a little too long in this shuttle
0: these people are sick of each other yeah um so even like when when blitzwing shows up and i mean how is it that that blitzwing is a concept that goes back to g1 but we're just now getting a a, um, a German-sounding uh, voice actor in there. I I love Blitzwing's yeah. voice. It's perfect. It's perfect, and I love that this this is so fucking cool. I I, I get the feeling that Blitzwing is really going to resonate with me because I I love the idea. Of a triple changer having multiple personalities
1: oh so smart i, I mean that is I so mean, smart
0: how how come nobody thought of that before you know it's like and i feel like each personality goes with each alt mode you yeah. know and and like and even like the the gimmick of like the flipping faces and like the the voice changes a little bit each time i i love it i i Again, I I get the feeling I'm really gonna like Blitzwing because, like, even like in this just little bit, I, I I like the design aesthetic. I I like that it um it evokes G1 the G1 design. I mean, clearly you you see both tank and plane bits hanging off of him, so
1: yeah, you, you know he such a cool design.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it it's it, it's great. Um. But yeah, you just you just get like that little bit of like, you know, we, you think that like when he flips to like the the angry devil face that he's going to, you know, be like super mean spirited. But but then he busts out into song and stuff. It's like, oh, no, yeah. th- that that's his Joker face.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that's just the uh, want to see the world burn face. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: That,
1: yeah. Which is scary in a different way.
0: I, I love it. I, yeah. I love it. It's unhinged and, cool. and yeah, this, um, I mean, we, we spend a lot of time with this version of Starscream in, uh, in, in this pilot here and right away leaves an impression. I mean, what one in the, in the vocal delivery, but then just like his design aesthetic, his, his machinations, it, it all just in terms of like passing the squint test, This is Starscream through and through. And even for me, spending this little amount of time with him already rocketing up the charts for favorite Starscream. I mean, he's he's capable. He's you know, not only is he is he cunning, but he's capable and he succeeds. And yes. I, 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 you don't see that in a G1 Starscream. You know, he 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 fucks off to you know uh, to abandon islands to to make combaticons that comes to nothing. You know he you know <laughs> right. he, he teams up with Doctor Arkaville to like you know he's always trying to like scheme, and but nothing ever works for him. And really for for G1 Starscream, his his one moment of success gets cut
1: short in a in a bit of bad comedy so yeah um, and here we see uh in the first 10 minutes i know i keep saying that but it's crazy how much happens in the first 10 minutes we see uh his scheme working his his biggest scheme he he does dig that knife in he you know he is the judas to megatron
0: And and even uh, jumping to the end of the episode where like Starscream catches up with the the Autobots on Earth and and uh, plots successfully to get the Allspark, he he like has so much contempt for the Autobots. He's like, "You think you defeated Megatron? Yeah, <laughs> it was me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it was me, yeah. you
0: dummies." <laughs> what an exciting moment! And and again, what what a complete Starscream performance. I mean, I I I. I'm sure we will talk at greater, greater length about it, but it's like right away just from the voice. And again, it's, it's not an impression. It's something new, but it's, but it's still the same. It's like, I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, chef kiss, French kiss,
1: French (laughs) French kiss. (laughs) Uh, So good. I'm glad you brought this up because uh, this is the only other kind of voice actor I wanted to talk about early mm. on um, because it kind of blew my mind this morning in researching um, that, that uh, this is, I mean, when I, when I first heard the Starscream, I, it, it evoked like the original Starscream vibes for me. It, it was very like Chris lotta esque, Yeah. And then, and then to come to find out it's the guy that voiced SpongeBob, like, that's unbelievable, Tom. Uh, if we're talking great voice actors, Tom Kenny, wow, wow, did not know that you know you could channel that level of it's. It is. It's both a throwback to the original Stream voice, and it's this kind of new and creepy and terrifying uh, villain, uh, all from that you know this beloved voice actor we've known from such sillier characters. It's so cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, and and genuine menace. He yeah. he this Starscream is a credible threat by himself. I mean, because think about it, he takes on this entire team of Autobots which we know is basically a superhero team, he takes them all on his own and defeats them. Yeah. By himself.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And and, and I, I don't I don't know if I've seen a Starscream this powerful and this capable w- yeah, without being like successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think too, um, while we're on this and while we're talking about how kind of seeing the silhouettes of the Decepticons, we should we should really talk, take a moment to talk about Derek J. Wyatt's designs uh in this series. The 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 artwork for these characters, the character builds themselves. Mm-hmm. Very unique. Um and and now we've kind of come to know it as like classic Derek J. Wyatt. Rest in peace, one of my all-time favorite uh artists. Uh but it, it is a very cool, it is a very interesting take. Um, and you you kind of alluded to maybe this is something that maybe turned you off about the series yeah. originally. And I think I was in that zone of like uh, you know, spit in the face of G1. Let's see something totally different. And I actually <laughs> took to this series more because it was so different than the original, but uh yeah, I think I think we have some really interesting um, character designs. We have little guys, big guys. That's the other thing I wanted to get into too is yeah. that this Megatron is huge. Like, there's a there's a scale system here where like you have like huge characters and tall characters, small characters, and then you have uh, maybe the biggest Megatron looming over everyone. Yeah, like this is I, I'd love to see a scale chart of like Megatrons through the ages, but I feel like this one. Uh, this version of megatron is maybe like the biggest of of all
0: yeah between him and uh 2007 live action movie you know it's like that yeah uh, because that that iteration is also shown to be significantly larger than than the
1: other transformers yeah well and And bigger than Optimus, which is kind of i mean i know that something that came out of the movie too but like that's that's always kind of been a fascinating take on megatron that he's you know you usually need to have this uh the the hero and the villain need to just have that you know classic iconic you know they punch in are like they're like the same silhouette outline almost yeah, uh, but yeah this they totally went with something different they went mm-hmm. with a kind of a creepy spooky uh megatron design but i guess along with that are you are you now as we watch this are you sort of seeing the 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 genius for me of the designs. Is it still kind of jarring for you? Where are you, where are you at?
0: Um, a short answer is yes. I mean, I, I, I like it. I, I do like it. I, I under, I, I can still be that, that 22 uh, year old kid that didn't like it then and decided it wasn't for me, but, um, but I, I can appreciate it now. It is a little jarring at first, um, because because it is so stylized but i think it's one of those things because like i i sat down and watched uh transform and and roll out all in one sitting i think as with anything else whether it's um watching movies in 3d or in high frame rate or some other type of like viewing experience there there there's a certain itchiness that that comes with it at first but once you acclimate and get used to it you stop seeing it so and i think that's that's um true of any of vintage media like uh like there there are folks that are going back and watching beast wars and those graphics are rough and you know, so it's it's it it's hard to sit through, but I think it's one of those things that like once you get used to it and en- get engrossed by the story, y- you don't see it anymore. And and that was my experience. It's like I didn't I I found myself not really noticing the um the difference in stylization. Um, as much the longer I watched it. Now, there would be other times that it, it would uh, smack me in the face. Like, you know, you get that establishing shot of Detroit, how it looks, you know. So so there are like establishing shots that, you know, I, I, I really dig and enjoy the design. But um, the overall aesthetic I like, um, I, I will still say... And and you'll have to check back with me when we get to the end of this project, um, how much it resonates with me. Because still, for me, and I I I I am reluctant and maybe a little sad to say it's it's still not my cup of tea. It, it is it is still a style that's maybe still a little too exaggerated for my taste. I see why people like it, and I'm fully engrossed in the story. Um, because I mean, I, I'm really picking up on, on what, what's being put down here, but from like a animation aesthetic, I, I'm not necessarily going to start commissioning artists to do my favorite characters in a Derek, D- Derek J. Wyatt style. Like, like I have friends that, that have like pieces of Derek's art and things like that. Um, for me, it's, it's just not my cup of tea
1: yeah yeah that's interesting i mean one thing i can say similar to that when i first saw this show i was like oh these designs are really fucking cool Mm -hmm. they're never going to have toys for these um this is this is maybe a toy line that came out and someone took an artistic depiction of them these aren't going to be toys um and but they were i guess if i can take a second to talk about that the toy line from this show is phenomenal uh the vehicles look like the vehicle modes and the robots look like the cartoon versions of these robots and it's it's a feat of engineering i mean we talk about transformers toys as a feat of engineering just in general Mm -hmm. these are a feat of engineering of a feat of engineering the fact that they were (laughs) able to look like the cartoon car and like the cartoon robot very stylized in both forms and actually functionally transform between the two modes Mm -hmm. i never thought we'd see that when i first saw this show
0: and that is where we're going to leave things for today. That is going to wrap it up for our inaugural episode of Two Mikes, Too Furious. We knew the discussion about the beginning of Transformers Animated was going to be a lengthy discussion, to say the least. But we also didn't want to scare away any uh, potential new listeners by posting like a four-hour mega episode. But this felt like as good a stopping point for a great cliffhanger ending. Now, our next episode is going to be out in two weeks, and now that we've talked about the characters and the overall setup for the world of Transformers Animated, we can really get into the meat of the discussion proper about the pilot movie Transform and Rollout! That episode will run about as long as this one, maybe a titch longer, but we're really looking to keep these episodes under two hours, uh, at least to start. Uh, Thank you for hanging out with us. And if you would like to check out my other podcast, Mike Seibert Radio, you can find it everywhere. You're listening to Two Mikes, Two Furious. You can also find me on social media at Mike Seibert Radio. I'm on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And the spelling on my last name is S-E-I-B-E-R. Rt. Michael Andrews has written a few books that are available now on Amazon. The Coming of Mage Saga, it's a duology consisting of Coming of Mage and its sequel, A War for the Mages, as well as his latest book, Gone for a Spell. You can connect with him out on socials. He's at Michael Andrews on Twitter, spelled M-I-K-E-L. So it's not just me that you have to learn special spelling for. We're, we're equal opportunity spellers. Now, if you would like to connect with the show directly, there are a few ways you can do so. We are at Two Mikes, the number two, Two Furious, also the number two, on social media. Uh, the show is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Two Mikes, Two Furious. Want to be a guest on the show? You can send us an email 2 mikes, Mics2Furious two at gmail.com. If there's a particular episode of Transformers Animated that you want to join us to talk about, don't wait for us to ask. Call your shots early. And if you would like to hear your voice on the air, send us a voicemail, 231-224 Mike. That phone number again is 231 224 Three, One more time. That's two, three, one, two, two, four, six, four, five, three. We will play your voicemails on the air and we'd really like to hear from you. So please drop us a line with your questions, comments, comments, criticisms, whatever you would like to say to us. The Mike's community goes beyond just me and Michael Andrews. We want to make this as inclusive of place as possible, so we would love to hear from you. And we'll talk about that more in our next episode, but that's going to close it out for now. For my co-host, Michael Andrews, my name is Mike Cyber. We are Two Mikes, Two Furious, and until next time, make good choices. You are Mike. You